0: Hey guys, this is Alex, and welcome to the Two Dudes, Bruise Interviews podcast. On today's episode, we're talking about one of Austin's most beloved movies. It's 2003's historical action drama starring Tom Cruise, The Last Samurai. We get into the technicals, the thematic and philosophical elements, and of course, the white savior narrative that surrounds it all. If you like what you hear, consider subscribing to the podcast. Leave us a rating and review, and maybe even tell your friends about us. With that being said, we hope you enjoy the show.
1: Other than that, man, let's uh what are we drinking? We're drinking uh this is something that you brought over. This is wild Ohio brewing. It's a wild tea. Um, it ain't like fucking half and half, uh, what are those called? Arnold Palmer? Yeah, but the um, the teas, what are they called? God, I'm getting old. I can't think. Arizona? No, the alcoholic teas there by drinks. The twisted ones? Twisted teas. It ain't like that. I've never had one of those,
0: actually. Oh, they're so bad.
1: I don't um, plan I on them. ever trying it They make me sick. Black cherry bourbon barrel is what this is called. It actually just tastes like rosé, so I'm okay with that. And it looks like rosé. I'm they're also 9%, so it's You gotta be careful. They, mm-hmm. They're really easy drinking, so.
0: I'm still getting used to this. It's not nearly as carbonated as I was expecting. Mm-hmm. I was kind of hoping for like a sour flavor
1: as well. I was too. I was kind of expecting that the first time I had them, but it's uh, definitely reminding me of wine. We got some uh, a couple of yinglings in the fridge as well, so we'll probably uh, move on to that at some point. But um, we're talking about uh, like one of my favorite movies, like ever. This movie definitely is in my, I don't know, maybe top 10. Let me put it this way. It is one of my favorite B-plus movies. It's not quite like a masterpiece, but it's like it lays somewhere on the precipice of getting close. And it's like one of my favorite, one of those.
0: You've been talking about The Last Samurai with me for years Yeah,
1: now. I'm actually shocked that it hasn't come up on the podcast before today. Yeah, man. I I've been saving it. I wanted to hold on to it for a long time. It felt like uh, if we were going to do it, I wanted to uh, take our time and get there. I knew it would come eventually, and, and uh, here we are. So that's, that's, that's fine with me, man.
0: When was the first time that you ever saw
1: this? Um, I think it was with my grandpa when we used to live with my grandparents uh, shortly after my parents got divorced. So I was probably, like, you know, 12 somewhere. I was pretty young. I didn't like necessarily like absorb the film in a in a very meaningful way. But it kinda stuck with me and I thought it was a cool movie and then uh I think I like watched it uh when I was sixteen or like seventeen maybe. Um I think it was on Netflix at one point. And I think I watched it when we lived in Middletown. And it was just one of those movies that uh I don't know, I can't I grew to love. And it's uh I I still love it. I, I still return to it uh probably once a year. Is this like one of those movies where you would come home
0: from school every day and pop the DVD and no. watch it a thousand times. <laughs> no, it wasn't
1: one of those. It's not a Tron legacy or an, no. in, an inception. Uh maybe, maybe I did, but I don't, I don't have those fond memories of it like that, hmm. but it was probably somewhere in the same, same neighborhood. Maybe like when I was watching a uh, life of Pi. you know, it was, uh, okay. that makes sense. It was the house on Santa Fe, man. It was the, it was <laughs> a, there, I have very fond memories of my adolescence there. And this is one of those movies that have stuck with me for a long time. You know, I had never even heard
0: of this movie. And that's weird because I think this made like four to five hundred million dollars at the box office. It has Tom Cruise in it. Yeah. I've
1: never heard anybody talk about it except it, you. It actually does. It, it, it did better in Japan than it did in America, I believe. That's what I've heard. But Yeah, man, I love this film. It, it's like a little rough around the edges, but I also think it's a it's a movie that outside of like the Oscar nominations every year, I feel like lately as I'm growing into adulthood... I have been so much more interested in very experimental films, a lot more like art house. And this is a film that reminds me of the era that it was made in the like the history drama. Like they just don't really get made anymore. And when they do get made, they don't get nearly as much attention now as they did back then. They're a hard sell. And there's so many movies that are, quite frankly, like a little bit more interesting on paper you know what I mean? Like, you, you stack this up to a couple of the films that came out uh, last year that we loved, like The Northman. Like, yes, that's, like, a little bit of a historical drama, but it has, like, some horror elements that are from a director. You know what <laughs> I mean? That we've, like, grown to love because he's he's done art house, really experimental. The Northman was art house Braveheart, yeah. basically. And, but, like, this movie doesn't have the flair. It doesn't have the art flair to what I think is pretty much modern cinema now. So when I go back to films like this, it, uh, I don't know, it just reminds me of A Different Time. It has a certain charm
0: to it. Yeah. The critical reception to this movie was not the greatest, mm. from what I've read, at least. I saw that it has like 60-ish percent on Rotten Tomatoes, mm-hmm. and I'm a little confused by that, actually. Cause yeah. Because I ended up liking this quite a bit. Okay. Like, I'll go off and say that straight up here at the beginning like I thought this was a pretty good entertaining movie
1: I think this is a really hard to tackle I think in today's climate because I don't I think this if this movie was made tomorrow it would be met with even more critical uh, opinion I guess just negative reviews because it'd be Mm -hmm. like oh white savior maybe if it was made like a year or two ago maybe like but I feel like uh, that was like the biggest talking point in the world we like it's
0: like the green book era like when that one best yeah. picture, that kind of shit
1: it just feels like uh the whole white savior complex it, it, like it mm-hmm. could you could very easily write this film off for that reason and i think i will tackle this in a way that will completely combat that perspective okay because i think there's a lot more going on here than i actually think the film does a, a good job of presenting to you i think it's deeper than like the editing that like the way this film gets portrayed,
0: I agree with you. Um, I think that it's there somewhat. It's like thirty percent, maybe twenty percent, white savior, mm-hmm. but it's um,
1: it's a lot more mature and layered than what most people would think. Exactly. It, it's not. It's not cheap. Like, there's a little bit of it. There's always a purpose behind every move that gets made in this film. It's a very political film. Like uh, mm-hmm. a lot of uh, negotiation. I'm a huge fan of the dialogue in this film. The Japanese culture gets portrayed in this film it's very um there's some finality to it there's always um, like cliffhangers almost like there's like a lot of shutting of doors and conversation and I find that um a unique discovery along the way for Tom Cruise's character of, of Nathan Algren and it's a unique learning experience mm-hmm. for the character and and the samurai like uh in particular Katsumoto and the relationship that gets developed uh, throughout the film
0: yeah I completely agree I thought that the focus... On like the purity of Japanese culture was really interesting. In yeah. the second act, where we're we're just kind of hanging out in their home base, like this little village. Uh-huh. That's like my favorite part of the movie. Right yeah, there. mine too. Usually, I don't say that very often. Usually, the second act is my least
1: favorite. And it's movie. the lull. I thought it was like far and away the best aspect of yeah. the entirety of this thing. So I will say this: um, I know you have not seen it, and I had only seen it last year in the fall, around like November mm-hmm. or October. But I watched uh, Seven Samurai for the first time, and I had owned it for a long time, and I had yet to watch it. I I think I got it for Christmas like two years ago, and I finally had the time to watch it. I think the film draws really heavily on that at times because, first and foremost, a lot of films are so inspired by like uh, Akira Kurosawa, and yeah, definitely, you know, like your favorite director. It's like, it's your favorite director's favorite director. So, um I think the long periods of nothing and talk and and simmer are very charming. And uh being able to like this is a long movie. It's like 3 hours long. It's pretty damn long, yeah. Uh there's a reason I only watched it once. I've seen I've seen this movie. I think I've given probably at least a week of my life to the, to this film. So, yeah, man. Anyway, I w- I want to know what you think like uh did you have like any frustrations going uh, throughout the film somewhat
0: but it wasn't the stuff that i thought i was going to be frustrated with mm. going in at least from like the expectations that you'd set for me i thought and uh, i think i wrote this in my notes but i think the film kind of sidesteps a few tropes that usually would be annoying in a movie like this like the introduction of like kid characters mm-hmm. and putting them in danger doesn't linger or focus on that too long uh-huh. we have uh a tease of romance but like not really at the same time yeah that's one that i'm a little uh still on the fence on yeah even it was there so little but i still went and eh. uh, i figured we would have that conversation <laughs> definitely aside from that i think the movie it's a little romanticized about this era like mm-hmm. when um, oh yeah i don't know if you looked into like the historical, actual history yeah yeah <laughs> and that's like You can take it or leave it when it comes to shit like that. Sometimes you can just sit down and say, this is the movie. I'm not going to fucking think about it portraying the era the way Mm, it really was.
1: I'm mostly fine with the way it tackled it. You know, um, I think we kind of had a similar discussion when we talked about The King, where, like, there are some historical inaccuracies with that. But it's like, also, of course, like, (laughs) these films are made. They're loosely inspired by events. But, yeah, like, just understanding that it wasn't this cut-and-dry you have major change to society and societal structures, like when culture changes. Like I think we experience it now. I think we've both been alive long enough to feel to feel the world change in the last couple of years. Oh in, yeah, in the way culture and politics have changed. And it happens fast, very quickly. We've had conversations, me and Elizabeth, about how different is the world going to look. 50 years from now like when we're old like what will the nature of our reality be but just thinking about you know it's it wasn't this cut and dry like there are people people that will be on the fence to change there will be people that will be more reserved and want to lean heavily into what they know. And then there will be people that want to modernize and and move forward. And I think the film, I don't want to get too far ahead, but by the end, it kind of captures perfectly what that societal change feels like, you know, the death of old culture, but you want to honor it in some way. So yeah, we'll get there, but okay. I'm coming to this a lot more uh, lenient and uh, open than I thought you would. Did you think I was going to hate it? A little bit. I thought, I thought there would be parts of you that that really didn't like it.
0: I thought that I was going to go into it that way too. Yeah. But, um, that first watch, I the longer it went, the more I just kind of, uh, I don't know how I would say this. I think there's a lot to appreciate in this movie in terms of filmmaking and acting and writing. I mean, a lot of the stuff that I usually appreciate with a lot of movies is, it's like all mostly here, mm-hmm. honestly. And I know that we'll praise some of this stuff as we go. But yeah, I don't know. There wasn't anything extremely glaring to me. And this isn't my kind of movie. I know, either. yeah. I, I don't like period piece movies that much. More open to him now than I used to be, but still, it's usually like an uphill battle
1: mm-hmm. going into something. But I mean, what can I say? I, I liked it. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was it's, good. It's it's a fluent experience. Yeah, as far as uh, front to back, I think it's mm-hmm. pretty natural. I don't think there's ever a moment where I'm like, ah, that's fucking stupid. Mm-hmm. I, I think uh, the storytelling's uh, pretty solid front to back. Like I think uh, the characters all, even like small characters, have very long arcs oh god I'm gonna have to pull up uh our character list here because it's a lot of names but I remember the big the big guys but not uh not everybody okay so I, I do want to like kind of tackle what is his name there's
0: like an ujo and uh yeah one, one that starts with an n that I don't think I could pronounce Nabatuda or something like yeah,
1: that. yeah look at you yeah, the emperor and Mr. Amura.
0: This is definitely a big
1: cast of characters. It's so many people,
0: and I think it's handled relatively well. I never felt confused about anybody, anybody's intentions or where
1: they stood. Or... Yeah, that's a good way to put it. You know, I think uh, when we first meet, <laughs> when we first meet Tom Cruise's character of Nathan. Yeah, man, I'm here for it. I love the fucking beaten down underdog, fuck you <laughs> guy. His first scene's great. Oh my god, him being used as war propaganda to uh-huh. sell
0: are they selling weapons yeah. is that what the winchester company mm-hmm. is
1: captain and nathan alger
0: <laughs> he's like hanging out in the back of this like dusty fucking back room yeah getting man. drunk i think yeah oh fuck yeah coming out not able to read the cue cards <laughs> <laughs> i think this is a good character building scene right off the bat like mm-hmm. you kind of get a good idea of who nathan is just from like two minutes he's the fucking broken war
1: vet Yeah, man, there's a reason why I love this film. (laughs) (laughs) This first scene is, like, a tad bit cheesy, but it's, like, kind of endearing. It's a, like, pretty over-the-top introduction, but, um, I think it moves quickly into, okay, we've established he is a drunk, he doesn't give a fuck anymore, he hates his life, he's done something we don't know what he's done yet that he can't live with. I had a pretty good idea about it right off the bat. Yeah. I know what fucking Little Bighorn is, (laughs) unfortunately. And, uh... Well, we move quickly into, okay, we've got a job for you. I love that like first dinner table scene because it establishes his relationship with his higher, higher uh, officer, his commanding officer. What's his name? Uh, Bagley? Yeah, I believe so. Colonel Bagley. Yeah. Okay. His first interaction with him, like building tension early on. Um, and we get to meet Mr. Omura. We get to think immediately what Mr. Omura thinks about the Americans as well. There's a lot going on here i mean it's Mm -hmm. it's subtle but it builds up quickly and we're in the first 10 minutes so being able to move quickly through the establishing presence of okay these are our characters is what we're going to set out to do the first act is actually like pretty long but Mm -hmm. i feel like you move through it relatively quickly at least as far as pacing goes what would you consider like the end of the first act?
0: Like them going to that the first battle together?
1: Um, right? I think the ending of the first battle where he gets captured is like essentially the first act, and the second act is Algren moving through basically prisoner of war. Yeah, okay. and then prisoner of war third act turns into the long an- ass battle scene. Yeah, the en- basically uh, enemies to friends.
0: Yeah, that that feels right to mm-hmm. me. Yeah, this the setup is incredibly fast but not for a single moment did i feel like it was rushed or anything Mm -hmm. i mean he ends up in japan in like the first 15 minutes Mm -hmm. maybe i mean we get there fast Mm -hmm. but it didn't feel wrong pacing wise
1: did you know i have seen this movie so many fucking times but i think this was the first time where i appreciated the first dinner scene because i never noticed how quickly he fills his glass Mm, okay i never noticed that as many times as I've seen it, he sits down, has a whiskey, quickly, gets another one quickly. And I'm like, oh, he's drunk all the time. I
0: noticed I, that he asked the waiter for a drink twice. When he
1: walked in, and then when he finishes it, he gets it. Like, as soon as he sits down, it's gone. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, the
0: thing with this Bagley, is that yeah, how you say his Colonel name? Bagley. In a lot of, like, more Hollywood blockbuster-centric movies, they would really amp up, like, the antagonistic characteristics of a character like this. In-
1: Ranger Rick? <laughs> He'd be the
0: Ranger Rick. Like a Ranger Rick type from Avatar, for those that don't know what we're talking about.
1: Have you even seen the second one yet?
0: Not yet. Oh my Uh, God, dude, you gotta watch it. It'll be on Disney eventually. They they save
1: that character. Yeah, it will be.
0: This guy's portrayal of this character, is like pretty subtle. Not once is he over the top, cheesy, hammy. He's like mostly polite to Mm -hmm. Nathan. He never loses his
1: cool. He never has like the bravado moment where he needs to like, command the screen it's a very subtle performance
0: one of the only things I can gather from the movie about him is that he's a little incompetent like as a general we see it like a few times Mm -hmm. trying to rush the army into battle way too soon Mm -hmm. and of course the hints that the little bighorn stuff was Mm kind of his fault but they really understate him Mm -hmm. as I wouldn't even call him
1: a villain is there a true villain in this movie? Yeah. Like, it's, it doesn't really play up like that. No, um, that's actually a good question. I never really, really, looked at it that way. Yeah, there's conflict, but it feels more... How do I put this? It feels like putting your parents in a home. Like, <laughs> like it's a... There's just, like, events unfolding, and, like, these characters are, like, kind of just dealing with it. It's not really, um... It's like the, just the progression of, of society is like weighing down on all these characters. I mean, Mr. Omura, maybe mm-hmm. he might be the closest thing to that, like a, a villain. Mm-hmm. But even then, he has his own interests and it makes sense. But he's also like a, a fucking cheesy fucking ball of a businessman <laughs> as well. And I think another thing with seeing this movie through older eyes is that I've, I never really paid attention to his character's motives. It's very similar to, I think, what we experience in America with... Business being so closely tied to politics, yeah, and how that affects policy and the pressures of essentially uh, corporations creating policy and change for either the good or the the bad for uh, society. It's usually the bad. Yeah, correct. <laughs> uh, it's it's typically it benefits one person and then it affects everyone else in uh, in a negative way, most likely. But anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> depression. <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, you know, mm-hmm. I think uh, you're you're completely correct with moving the the troops into battle early. You kind of get the understanding that Colonel Bagley is really just here just to like get paid. This isn't his battle. He's really just here. To, uh, he's just here on business, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Nathan doesn't really operate that way. And mm-hmm. I actually think he's a man that that operates from honor, but he's lost it. The film doesn't tell you that though. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to like see it. I don't think any point in the film dialogue really explains the relationship Nathan has to the way he views the world. You kind of have to, like, piece it together. He, as a character, is just broken. And I think he mentions it to Katsumoto, saying, like, every soldier has nightmares. And Katsumoto gives him the wisdom of only a man that is ashamed of what he has done. You know, Nathan says, you have no idea what I've done. And so I think... um The way he operates compared to Colonel Bagley. Colonel Bagley just seems like uh, the way he views the world is so cheap compared to, I think, ultimately, like what we get to see from our characters. Mm -hmm. Like in that second act, you get to, like, absorb the beauty of life and death. Nathan's character operates that way, but war has, like, taken it from him. And the second act allows him to rediscover, like, the beauty of life.
0: Yeah, because we're kind of unclear about what relationships he has back home mm-hmm. in the U.S. I mean, I'm assuming that he doesn't really have
1: friends or family. During my notes, I, I had talked about Nathan, I think, mentions it only once. And it's in the second act where he says, like, this is the first time I've had a good night's sleep in God knows how long, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is the only place I've I've known a, a undisturbed night since he left the farm which is probably like young boy. Yeah. Like, you know, 18, like I'm signing up for the army. I don't think you really get that really anywhere else besides that hint of dialogue. Like I think this man was just a young kid and he gave himself to the army. And I think he still cared about people because he developed a relationship with um, the native Americans and his atrocities. He can't it's it's taken that joy from him, and of course, you know Colonel Bagley like basically teases him about it the whole movie. But he does the same thing here. But I think uh, I think it's a redemption arc for mean, like, the character. Yeah, but the entire movie definitely is Nathan's redemption, like through discovery of
0: this new culture mm-hmm. to him. Yeah, because he has nobody at home. Even this Zeb uh, guy that he meets up with, mm-hmm. he thought he was dead mm-hmm. before they find each other in the, that back alley. It's an interesting take for a main character, and the movie doesn't Mm spoon-feed you the pieces to... It doesn't beat you over the head, I should say. Yeah. Um, Oh, I I meant to bring this up earlier, but random fact of trivia. The guy that introduces him uh, to go on stage for his little presentation is... Captain Nathan! Out! Yeah. Did you recognize him at all? No. He is the news guy from Die Hard. What? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know who you're talking about. I've never seen him in anything else. Really? But when I was looking on Letterboxd, like scrolling through the the cast and what, what all of them have done before.
1: Wow, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. I didn't even notice it. Like, what the fuck?
0: There's a few others in this movie that are kind of like that, too. Mm. Like, oh, I've seen you somewhere. Yeah. Uh, Wormtail is in this film. <laughs> Fucking Peter Pettigrew. <laughs> oh, capital.
1: Yeah, I love that. What is this this guy's name? By the way, oh. our our, uh, our rich English aristocrat. He is um, goes by the name of Simon Graham, Mister Graham. That's right. Played by uh, Timothy Spall. He is a Wormtail in <laughs> <laughs> Harry Potter.
0: I didn't realize that till last night on my second viewing.
1: I don't he's know. He's lost how. so much weight, like since these roles, like nowadays. Yeah, he's very, very, very slender. Hey, good for him then. Yeah but yeah man he this is a fun one um i geek over this film it's because it's like the you know me i'm a fucking romantic and uh this like movie uh (laughs) feeds that ego inside me (laughs) it definitely does have
0: like a romanticized tone like it's very uh what's the word like schmaltzy in a way yeah and i mean that in a good way yeah this is one of the movies that i can accept that tone we've got captain nathan arriving in japan right after this uh these like small dinner scenes in the beginning featuring the one and only cgi shot that i thought was noticeable mm-hmm. like that it aged somewhat poorly but it's just the ships
1: on the harbor like mm-hmm. when he's coming in like oh that's cgi there's only one time i actually noticed it was when they're riding horseback when they're actually bringing nathan back to like see, the like, village the, to the city uh, when they're basically returning him because when they the emperor grants them passage through the mountains you can it's very very clear there are CGI horses and stuff like online. oh really yeah I barely noticed it I was like oh that's uh, something different I
0: watched this in standard definition okay. by the way that probably helped I got it from the library and everything there pretty much is that the library. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Aside from that, I didn't notice any glaring special effects that like hadn't aged well. There's some green screen when he's on the ship, like showing up in Japan. Yeah. Like, and you know, that doesn't bug me. A lot of this film is practical. And that's something I miss so much.
1: Yeah, man. That, there's a reason why I return to it. Hey, and there's a reason why I returned to Lord of the Rings. <coughs> oops, excuse me. Uh, once a year as well. For those... Uh, glorious practical effects. Now, Mm -hmm. don't get me wrong, there's some CGI in Lord of the Rings... Oh man, for the time and it still holds up. And it's, I mean, they're dude, they're twenty something years old now. They are, they're still so good.
0: They did what they could, like anything they could do practical, mm-hmm. they did. And that's true for this movie too, mm-hmm. for the most
1: part. I think. Um, I think what really elevates this film for me, the absolute most, I want to knock it out and just gush about it, but it is our score written by your boy mm-hmm. Hans Zimmer. You're definitely a Hans Zimmer boy. I am. How can you not be? I he, like him too. He is literally the man. I will tell you right now, I would die a happy man if I could just see Hans Zimmer perform one time with like a with the symphony orchestra. And
0: well, hey, if he ever comes around here, then it's gotta happen. Then. We'll fucking go. Um, I like Hans Zimmer. I don't know why I don't
1: stand him to the degree that you do, but like Interstellar is one of my favorite movie soundtracks. Mm-hmm. Just period. This is my second favorite to that. Um, it goes like Interstellar, The Last Samurai, Kung Fu Panda, Kung Fu Panda Two specifically, but. And then, like, maybe, like, Inception or something like that. But some of the
0: stuff in Dune was super interesting, like the
1: bagpipes and all that. Yeah, it's so strange to, like, <laughs> tie that to that film. But, yeah, Dune was inter- Dune was a very experimental, uh, one of the most experimental uh, movie scores, rightfully so. I mean, it's mm-hmm. well-earned. I cannot wait for this second part to come out this year. That's going to be so fun.
0: I think the thing that's different about this one, at least opposed to what he does nowadays, is it's Hans Zimmer with full orchestra, mm-hmm. just so many instruments colliding. The on piccolo, the
1: give me the piccolo, <laughs> homie.
0: I don't even know if I could like name or hum motifs from this,
1: but I know that it was very encapsulating and beautiful throughout mm-hmm. the whole thing. It's a lot of um, a lot of strings and a lot of woodwinds. Your battle beats are met with, you know, big drums like It's very tribal. Um, and it leans really heavily into of course, you know, the Japanese culture and I think it's uh it's absolutely like my one of my favorites.
0: It wasn't done in like a cliche way. No either. Yeah. You ever heard like some cliche Japanese oh, yeah. soundtracks? Ding, 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 ding. Like it's like uh <laughs> like I didn't know like music could be borderline racist. <laughs> 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 you know what i mean
1: yeah it's like uh fucking shitty wall <laughs> like yeah it's like that oh it's gorgeous yeah man. throughout the whole thing yeah man fucking moves me to tears almost like you have no idea like how many i'm a fucking sucker for that shit i will play this soundtrack in the car and be like oh life man it's beautiful i would love to listen to this like outside
0: of mm-hmm. the film maybe I would it'll appreciate happen later it. it'll oh happen, I'm, yeah i'm sure we definitely do go into like film soundtrack type stuff when we're Hanging out after recording nowadays, I'm into it.
1: Yeah, um, that really elevates the film for me. I think, especially like in the second act, when we get to like really like settle in and uh, get to know things uh, for what they are. Like, I think um, this whole second act is like fucking flies by, man. Like you would think it would it would be boring, but it just it kind of captures you and you move through it like really fast.
0: This is the stuff that would bore the average person. Yeah, I think it was all developed like very well i thought that there's a lot going on for mm-hmm. how slow the pace is in this section mm-hmm. we've got his rivalry with ujo that mm-hmm. kind of slowly builds yeah. throughout this section i love that guy you get his like blossoming friendship with Katsumoro like him warming up to the family mm-hmm. at the same time that guy with the end name he's katsumuro's son
1: right yes it's uh nobutada yeah, that's Something right. Something like that. Like he he d-
0: seems to take a great liking to Nathan, like in a very like, wholesome way. These relationships are all built naturally and end up being kind of wholesome. When we finally uh, like start to exit out of the second act, I get a little sad I want like It a, is. I want a 10-episode series of just him hanging out in the village. I know. You know what I mean? It is, man. It, it is like it leaves that sour taste in your mouth. You're like, no, you mm-hmm. can't do this. Like when the ninjas attack. Oh, fuck yeah. Like I was genuinely surprised because I had kind of went into such a sense of comfort. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, wait, this is an action movie. Yeah, <laughs> I don't forget. kind of forgot.
1: Yeah. Hey, you know, I don't want to skip over this. I don't know if you caught this. In the very beginning of the film, Katsumoto has a vision. Did you catch this on your first viewing? It's the tiger, right? The, the white tiger. I caught it on the second time around. Yeah. You I always I, I figured it would happen. I'm glad you watched it twice because I I figured you would miss it because I almost miss it every time. It's right. easy to miss. It is. And I think like when it when that vision comes to like when the basically his prophecy is fulfilled, it can like come off really weird if you don't know what's happening, if you don't know mm-hmm. if you didn't catch that right in the get go. I thought that was pretty cool, like pretty interesting. Because one of the weird things is, is that um, Eastern philosophy is not really something I, th- I definitely think at this time when this film was made is something that I don't think was really popular in America or like something that's like well known. Mm-hmm. Like meditation and like maybe so, but like to me, it could be something that would be kind of jarring for like your. I have like I'm a Fox News guy, and I'm gonna go watch a movie about war. Like yeah. you know what I mean. I think that would be really bizarre. <laughs> What's this calm, meditative bullshit? Yeah, man, come on, man, bust out the muskets and get these motherfuckers. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, just something, you know, something uh, kind of weird, man. It, like, Can I just say that's a weird concept to be like, oh, yeah, let's take Tom Cruise and, like, put him in Eastern philosophy, samurai era mm. war. Okay, like, we're doing that. It's definitely an interesting choice. Okay. I mean, this movie, like, to me... If you kind of like strip back the fact, like if you strip down the action scenes and you like focus on the second act and the ending of the film, it's like just a philosophy film. Like, I think that's kind of why I like it. Yeah. It's just a lot of philosophy. And I want to be honest with you, I think until I just recently watched the film, I finally understood what the, the cherry blossoms meant. A man can spend his entire life looking for the perfect cherry blossom and it would not be a life wasted. You know, I think I finally understood that. It was a line that eluded me for a very long time. I couldn't quite understand.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think this is the
1: first time I watched the film where I was like, oh, I get it now. You might have to contextualize it a bit for me. I think it's a it's an easy thing to miss as well because I think the way it's placed in the film, because it's in the second act when they're having conversations and just, you know, spring is turned over from the winter and the, and the, and the cherry blossoms are blooming. And Katsumoto says to Nathan, a man could spend his entire life looking for perfect cherry blossom and it would not be a life wasted and it kind of just like is a line that's hung out there to dry it's not really something that gets addressed by nathan um they're kind of like yeah we're gonna the emperor's granted a safe passage and the only
0: other time that it's mentioned is katsumura's death
1: death and i don't want to jump too far ahead but i think it's we
0: can hop around yeah
1: (laughs) it's fine it feels weird (laughs) uh it's such like a finality like ending like it feels so oh, yeah. capping of uh, a conversation but you know uh the point being that all of the cherry blossoms were perfect meaning that life is perfect uh like the journey of life the entire ride is perfect like even the shit mm-hmm. even the imperfections like everything's uh, there for a reason yeah like there's um the beauty is in the experience not like what you would uh normally Frame as like good and bad. The journey of life is a is a perfect thing and not a a problem to be solved or a thing to find. I think that's what it's getting at. That makes sense to me. I never got that until like a couple days ago. (laughs) It barely gives it any attention. I know it's it's in a weird spot, and Mm -hmm. I think it can be like, wait, what? Because I think it's like literally like twenty to thirty minutes of like the most intense on the ground uh, people are getting their fucking uh, abdomen shot open and their heads cut off and like <laughs> and then it's like middle life is good man yeah <laughs> <laughs> just to throw that in there real quick
0: since we're hopping around do you mind if i tell you what my favorite scene of the entire movie yeah is? absolutely come on it actually happens in the very first act and it's when they're training these yeah. new like peasant cadets to use firearms and Colonel Bagley is wanting to rush them out to battle. And Tom Cruise wants to prove to him that they're not ready. Mm-hmm. So he urges one of these men to shoot him. Mm-hmm. And Tom Cruise's acting in the scene, like his reaction to oh. the soldier missing the shot is one of my favorite things in the movie because it's very subtle acting. He expresses a cockiness for being right about the situation but then he kind of also looks disappointed that because didn't die. he wanted to die. And that's like in one expression. Like, yeah. it, that was really good acting. It's so good. I saw a review on Letterboxd and it said, it's weird that Tom Cruise is one of like the biggest actors of all time, but he's also like one of our most underrated actors. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, we look at him as like blockbuster guy
1: mission impossible
0: honestly i think this is like one of the best roles i've seen him in
1: i also read someone say that this and collateral are his most underrated performances Mm. collateral is my other favorite Mm -hmm. by him for sure you're right that's like one of my favorite scenes as well and it's such a commanding scene because it shows you that he's right but he's not in a position to essentially command you know he's he's under colonel bagley Mm-hmm. And he proves his point, and even the ego gets in the way. And Amura wants to get Katsumoto because he wants to build his fucking railroads and all this shit, <laughs> like stuff like that. Is um, it shows you really who's pulling the strings here pretty early on? You know, I, I kind of want to get into the views that uh, how do I put this? Oh God, like the views that Katsumoto essentially bushido, like the the way of life, the you know the samurai, the code. What's really beautiful about the film is that it takes Nathan's experience and Katsumoto's experience. And in that second act, it's the blending of the two. They get blended. And in the third act, Katsumoto adopts Nathan's mindset and Nathan adopts Katsumoto's. They come together. You know, he wants to know his enemy. And I think what's really beautiful in, in the same scene with the cherry blossoms and that conversation about he gives him back his journal and, and uh he, you know when i took this uh you are my enemy they adopt their views where nathan's is is illustrated perfectly in the sword fight with ujo mm-hmm. in which i think is like also like the most powerful moment in the the score is that when they have like their draw the the um in the, the fight in the rain Ooh yeah the fight in the rain very dramatic awesome <laughs> <laughs> By the way, that's straight out of the playbook of like Seven Samurai. Like that's really? like that's the that's the shit right there. <laughs> I think you would love that film. It's so fucking long though. I know I would. Um you would cry, Oh man. Anyway. <laughs> um The fact that Nathan, What's so frustrating to Ujo is that Nathan keeps getting up. And in Nathan's mind, it's like you just keep going. You get up. It's the American way. Like you pick yourself back up and you keep moving forward and you try again. And the samurai code is you must accept your shame of defeat. When you've been defeated, it's like this humbleness and the arrogance of an American against that. And Nathan, he adopts that. He adopts some of the samurai where it, he finds peace and in mindfulness in that second act he learns to love the joy of life and you get you get that through narration which i think could like be really boring but i for some reason it's like really endearing and engaging it wasn't overused no. or anything i feel like there's very little narration right. really you know it's it, it's expository but it's um it feels natural um in the way like the characters moving through the film but in the end Katsumoto, at so many points has the opportunity to end his own life through ritual suicide to accept his defeat accept his shame but nathan i mean even when katsumoto was given the dagger he comes and saves him and says you know like we gotta keep going we gotta mm-hmm. keep fighting and then in the final battle it's the same thing where he's like we could fight back we can make like this a last stand which it's i think is like super beautiful like it's a it, great moment it's the two becoming one it's like this uh, these two perspectives become the final philosophical uh, code. It's like some sort of like <laughs> they're operating from this. Like, these two frequencies have come together. It's so hard to explain. It's it's just unique to me.
0: I think I get what you're saying. Yeah, I don't know if I really thought about it that way when I watched it, but that mm-hmm. makes sense in retrospect. Yeah, like I don't think I had noticed how Katsumuro
1: adopts Nathan's philosophy. Mm-hmm. I definitely
0: noticed it the other way around. Yeah, that's like the main
1: focus of the movie. And I think it's hard when you're jamming a puzzle piece into another puzzle, Mm. essentially. You know, you you have a character from the outside coming in, so it feels that way. And we're moving through the story, so there's no time to Mm -mm. think about it, really. Piss break.
0: So this is like an action epic movie. We haven't really talked about that yet, yeah. We have not talked about the action. And I guess, like, the first example of that that we get is when Nathan and Bagley send their troops in to fight the samurai for the first First time. time. Yeah. This is a super interesting scene. Not just in terms of what happens, because that stuff's interesting, too. I mean, with him getting captured Mm -hmm. and, like, the degree of violence that we witness. But the filmmaking choices that are used Mm -hmm. here, this is a very atmospheric battle. Like, it's very stylish. Like, cinematography-wise, the lighting, the fog. This shit's, like, super impressive.
1: The track on the official score is titled A Spectre in the Fog. It's very ghost-like, the way that this battle unfolds. It's, Mm -hmm. It's so... Oh, my God, dude. When you get to see the modernized Japanese troops with guns and their fear and you get to hear the samurai your introduction to them it's non-visual you hear their their war cries in the distance like that is so powerful it really sets it up, yeah. like perfectly. I just think like the lighting and the fog,
0: yeah. was a really interesting choice because it's, it sets the same atmosphere as Nathan's flashbacks to like Little Bighorn. Mm. Like it's the
1: same technique being used, almost, almost like a blue filter. Yeah, there's like I, some sort of like um, heaviness to whatever's in front of the lens. It's very eerie.
0: Mm-hmm. And there's like a lot of big stuff going on here. I mean. For one, Nathan gets captured or introduced to Katsumoro. Is it Katsumoro or Katsumoto? Katsumoto. Okay. I've been saying it wrong this whole time. Fuck me. You're white. Um, It's all good. (laughs) I'm very white. I was very surprised by the way they handled the death of Zeb because I was fully expecting a melodramatic focus on like nathan <laughs> yeah. over his body like no he gets stabbed and it's like Come all right on. he's out of the movie <laughs> we're moving on i love when
1: he gets stabbed too because it's like ah. <laughs> it's fucking brutal yeah it's fun. when people die in this movie it's not it's not like oh no it's like oh all right okay
0: i had seen some criticism about the way the action scenes are filmed And I don't know if I really agree. Like it said that they were like kind of edited together
1: in a sloppy manner. And I didn't really get that. You know, no, yeah, no, fuck that. Like it's, (laughs) I think it has a really nice balance between the brutalism and like the over the top, like you kind of romanticize it. There's Mm -hmm. like, it's, it lies somewhere in between. I think the film kind of takes the approach of, um, I think this, I think the, the same writer fuck i think he might have directed it too but gladiator uh Mm -hmm. hold on a sec i'm pretty sure gladiator is directed by ridley scott it's the same he wrote the the same writer okay um the same the same guy that wrote the screenplay for gladiator i don't know don't know his name but you're great never seen gladiator what you have never seen gladiator no you motherfucker, it's coming up then. I'll, um, I'll, get it,
0: I'll get to it one day. No,
1: it's coming. I'll, I'll make a fucking mission out of it. <laughs> okay. Um, if we're going to lean into fucking period pieces, we might as well. Uh, but but uh, the action happens, and then you kind of settle back into um, reflection during those action scenes. It's brutal, and then the moment happens, and then you have time to reflect, I think
0: it's a good balance between showing where every individual character is within the chaos mm-hmm. and then we th- these um these like fast editing cuts mm. to like showcase how chaotic it is mm-hmm. i never once was confused about where anybody was or like what was happening to anybody ah uh, like a lot of action movies that's... have very sloppy like shaky cam fast editing
1: and it's like kind of shitty That's super important that you say that because literally speaking of Gladiator, that happens multiple times. Really? Where it gets really fucking sloppy. Ew, does Gladiator have like bad action scenes? There's a scene in the beginning of the film, basically a a war scene with your main character played by Russell Crowe, where like, I'm like, I can't believe it made it into the film because it takes you out of it so quickly where it's Mm. like, it literally, it's like extras standing around doing nothing. Like, you know, that that's that's when action is poor. And like that film is rated so much fucking higher than this uh-huh. film. Yeah. And that's not really the case in this film. Like there are times where like in the third act when you have your final battle where like it's very clearly like there are CGI like people like put in. It's hard to notice. In this? Yeah. Oh yeah, dude. Like in the third act, there are like I may have. fucking Copy and pasted in hmm. in there, but like it's hard to see because it's it's edited well. And then in Gladiator, it's like no, everyone's there and they're just fucking standing around. That's like, bad. Yeah, and that in that that is fucking poor <laughs> editing right there. Like I can't believe that made it into the final cut. Mm-hmm. That's not the case here. That's a weird criticism to me because I just I didn't I, feel I don't that get way. that way. No, I think the action is all really solid. I mean, even like the big spectacle is pretty tight. And then like you have your smaller moments, like, you know, you mentioned the ninja scene earlier. Like that is a very well edited scene where you're, it starts off super chaotic. And then we're, we very clearly establish where the standing ground is for our characters. Like, Mm -hmm. okay. It's like, here's three ninjas Mm -hmm. at once and our main characters. And like in the, the choreography is really well done Mm -hmm. in that scene, I think. I think there are a few times in that scene where I'm like, okay, it feels a little too much like, um, like mm-hmm. judo, like a little bit too much. Oh, I'm gonna toss this guy here. It kind of feels that way at, at times where it's like we're gonna choreograph that. Feels like a dance. Yeah, YM. but I think it kind of gets canceled out because it's like, oh yeah, we're gonna fucking shove a fucking piece of shrapnel in a guy's <laughs> eye real fast like you know it, it gets brutal pretty quick so uh-huh. you kind of can cover that stuff up in those moments where that choreography um can feel a little bit like a dance feel more of we have to move you through it's a quick movement into a different establishing ground not to mention like the story that's being told throughout that scene where nathan is now getting to prove himself you know, to the samurai that he's, he can fight and he saves Katsumoto's life, which is like, again, fulfills some sort of prophecy. It's kind of hard to miss, man. But it, it's like very subtle storytelling.
0: Yeah. I don't see the the criticisms towards directing or editing hmm. these action scenes. I thought like they were really strong. And usually this is the stuff that would be like the highlight of the movie for me. But that second act is so good that sometimes i I stopped thinking about the action and I'm like, I want to go hang out in the village.
1: I know, again. right. Yeah. You know, it's but it's like these moments of solitude are very enriching. Uh, huh.
0: that ninja sequence
1: is excellent.
0: <laughs> Even though from my understanding, like historically ninjas, no, no longer existed in Japan at this time, mm. but who cares?
1: Who gives a shit? <laughs> who yeah. gives a shit? It's like, Oh yeah. Amura sent those guys like, I was like, okay, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: <laughs> when it comes to like our, our third act big battle scene, I think this was handled so well Mm -hmm. in terms of like pacing it keeps the battle
1: fresh for like how long do you think this goes
0: 20 minutes 30 yeah
1: like 25 maybe like it's so long but it yeah you're right it does keep very yeah, it's fresh. There's
0: very naturally developed stages of the fight. You feel the momentum like swing towards one side or mm-hmm. the other at the beginning of that last battle, like the samurai are getting demolished at yeah. first. And then we have the introduction of like these fire arrows where we trap the imperial forces in. The
1: pacing is just so good. It feels like you're like kind of like reading a history book. Like you're reading a battle. And you know, I think um What's really funny is, like, the references that Algren makes to Katsumoto during the battle about, like, you know, Persian army and like the Greeks and literally stuff that was, like, the basis of 300 is being, like, mentioned in the film. I caught that. Yeah. I wasn't sure if if yeah. that's really what
0: the mm-hmm. inspiration was. Because it's, it's, like, 200 and something against the thousands. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 300
1: <laughs> versus uh, the thousands. Okay. Yeah, that's why it's called 300.
0: For some reason, I thought they said, like,
1: we got, like, 297 <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> but, um, you know, the pacing is is really solid. I think those like they're, those are our big action hits. You also have, like, when they're escaping, like, basically, Katsumoto's escaping and his son passes. Yeah, um, that's a great scene. That is a great scene. I love the way, oh, dude, it, like, almost moves me to tears when I watch it. Just the moment that Katsumoto he holds himself in this stoic way, but he takes like this last view of his son. He takes him in one last time. Like that's really powerful. I think if
0: I only had like one criticism about it, it's the whole uh, "leave me behind." Yeah, like, that's kind of <laughs> the, a, the
1: "leave me behind" trope. Yeah,
0: <laughs> as our main character like stands around mm-hmm. to watch the atrocity unfold. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's a pretty like Hollywood cliche, but I think the action scene leading up to him being shot like that was all executed mm. like great in my opinion i love like that small set the little
1: bridge yeah yeah that was awesome God, you would like if you enjoyed stuff like that. You would absolutely love Seven Samurai. Like it's fucking awesome.
0: I guarantee you it would become like an
1: instant favorite if I saw it. If you think the the war aspects of this film are really well done, you would think that the Seven Samurai is one of the best things you've ever seen. Because mm-hmm. it it like the, the way battle is handled in that film is it's like reading art of war. Like it's so interesting. Like mm. stuff like that is it's unique. But it don't get made like that.
0: So it deserves the reputation that it has.
1: Yeah, it's not like, okay, so I've seen it. I've only seen it once, granted. When I watched it, I thought at the end I would feel like absolutely decimated, like my heart would be broken into a million pieces. I didn't feel like that. But like this journey that you take throughout that film is really, oh my God, first and foremost, it's so long. But (laughs) just like the scale of it. It's hard to explain you, you kind of have to experience it the situation itself is small but the scale feels so grand like mm-hmm. it's it's very unique it's essentially like you have a mercenary clan coming and attacking this village and like making them poor raping their women and you know taking their crops oh, and sure. then they hire seven samurai to come defend their village that's all it mm-hmm. is that's all that's, that's literally the whole, the whole movie but these like it's a small step. One over the other through like this weird journey and discovery for all these characters involved. It's it's very uh, unique. But anyway. That
0: sounds incredible. Yeah. You would love it. The only action sequence that was kind of wonky to me
1: was, <laughs> do you know what I'm going to say? Like when he's walking in the streets at night. I think. Yeah. It's when he's going the to. Slow re- motion.
0: <laughs> when he's rescuing Katsumoto from yeah. jail and he meets up with these, like, Hitman samurai in the street. Amura. Like, the, the, yeah. The Amura goons. Yeah. The Imperial guys. The slow motion isn't what bugs me. It's that we see the sequence twice. Like, we see it play mm. out in real time. And then it, like, reverses and shows the whole thing again in slow motion. And I was like choose one because i think the slow motion actually would have been the the better choice if
1: you're going to do one of them okay i think i agree with you a little bit Mm -hmm. but i think the point of that sequence was to say hey do the action but previously right before we leave before we grant passage and we move on to that a step like to where we were the training sequences of have no mind too much mind too many mind Like, he's, like, unconsciously going through this battle, and then there's, like, a sense of amazement after he's kind of done what he did. It's the post-processing. It's a bizarre thing. I think it is a little weird. I think you're probably right. I think you you should say pick one, and you probably should pick the slow motion. I kind of like the inclusion of the both. I might disagree with you slightly. Okay, that's fair. I don't know. I think if you cut the slow motion, it would make the scene cool but it would be like oh that's like your white savior action moment ha 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 mm-hmm. like we got him right here but i think um adding that slow motion kind of eludes back to hey don't forget that he's learned this yeah
0: he's a newbie
1: it's the display of the culture that he's learned
0: okay i think that's completely fair mm-hmm. too i just think i enjoyed the slow motion one more and think that it should have been the sole one because i really like when it when the film dips into like these more atmospheric
1: like weird (laughs) moments hey speaking of atmospheric weird moments i got one for you okay what's that the fucking him going through withdrawal is insane to me it always has been the moment in the film where i'm like whoa that was fucking weirdly intense it's genuinely terrifying yeah (sighs) it's like so uncomfortable and my only gripe with it is the fact that he wakes up and he's like I'm the most beautiful fucking slumbering princess that has ever existed. He just his, rolls out the front door. His fucking hair is perfect. He wakes up <laughs> and he's like my hair is perfectly swept to the side. I have no bedhead. I am Tom Cruise. <laughs> In a robe. Like, it's that is the most bizarre moment. That is literally the one moment in the film out of all these years that I'm still like, no, that is not okay. I do not forgive this choice. Like, he should have been a lot more disheveled walking He should out. have looked pale, frail, and, mm-hmm. like, looked like a piece of dog shit. But he wakes up and he's like, oh, the world is beautiful. I've come out on the other end of some fucking atrocity.
0: That choice would have worked really well considering like the context of the situation where he's going out into the village, like it's a, a foreign place to him. Mm-hmm. Everybody's looking at him funny. If he was feeling like shit and kind of like a walking zombie <laughs> through the situation, they could have really played up the weirdness yeah. of the situation. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I agree. It's, like, so it's strange.
0: He's just <laughs> fine as a daisy
1: walking out of there. It's still like, it's still like after all these years of seeing it, I'm like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> Like okay, Hollywood man, that it does it. He's Tom Cruise.
0: He can't show any weakness.
1: Hey, speaking of walking around the uh, the village, fucking
0: Bob, old Bob, the Misadventures of Bob and Nathan. Yeah, yeah, man, that could have been a movie on its own. Tell me why I was like semi-emotional when Bob, Bob dies. dies.
1: They got gotcha. you. Like,
0: I don't even know this guy's real name. <laughs>
1: I think he literally yells, Bob.
0: <laughs> I think he does Doesn't too. He? I audibly said, No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love when they're walking up to the temple and Nathan's like out of breath and Bob's like, Fucking come on. Like, you pussy. Like, uh-huh. keep walking. I'm out here in sandals, <laughs> God damn it.
0: It's funny how that works with like these mini arcs that are going on throughout the the film because during that final battle scene when like ujo dies mm. it's like damn like he was kind of like a semi antagonistic force
1: early on Oh, and dude they really build that like, they do rapport. god we still have so much fucking shit to talk about <laughs> when this is why i love this film man it's so it's there's so it's so multifaceted there's so many there's so so much depth through minor characters that i don't think really is given the amount of attention that minor characters deserve nowadays like I think that aspect of the film is absolutely a 10 out of 10. Like the the ability to build every character in this situation, like everybody f- it feels so there's so much finality about all the character arcs. Like even Colonel Bagley, Amura, the emperor Katsumoto, Nathan, you have even Mr. Graham at the end, even um what's her face? I can't even name, remember her name, the love interest, Take taka you know she has her arc even the kids kind of have their own arc because they've lost their father and then they attach to nathan in a way where he feels fatherly and friendly it just feels like so so much of um oh, there's like so much completeness about mm-hmm. everything there's nothing like hung out to dry
0: everybody's got a little something to do yeah
1: that's good writing yeah that, that is good writing
0: that's good writing i complain about screenplays all the time on this podcast mm-hmm. but i I don't think I have many or any complaints
1: aside from the
0: Taka thing
1: honestly. Yeah. You know, I think the the way the film handles it at the end is fine because I think the way the film is framed, the story from beginning to end kind of leaves that relationship on the table to be like will they won't they? Will they won't they? And mm-hmm. that that's okay and I don't think the film's really about that at the end like no. It, it kind of just leaves like this taste in your mouth where you're like, there's gonna be something beyond this, but everything from front to back feels finished, and like mm-hmm. that's good. I think that part of the uh, the screenplay is actually kind of perfect. It leaves like this sense of the journey beyond the story we've been given that you will never see, mm-hmm. and it kind of leaves like um, this bittersweet taste in your mouth. There's there's something there's something mm-hmm. something will come of this. It's definitely, like, pretty vague between mm. Nathan and Taka. Because it's never, it's never developed into, like, a sexual relationship. Even, like, I think the closest part of their... Do they share a kiss? Like, kind of? Yeah, I guess they do. But, like, she seems, like, kind of unwilling in the moment. I think they both do. It's it's very strange. Mm. It's a very strange situation. It, it's It's a weird... The whole setup is that he killed her husband and now she has to live in shame with him. That's it. what makes it weird. To that's me. what makes it weird. But like could you do it any other way? Like could you imagine if she was just some village girl like how weird that would feel? It would feel like mm. oh my dad went down to Vietnam met my mom, <laughs> make her Katsumoto's like sister or something. Mm.
0: And like that's why she's put in charge of him. Mm-hmm. Like I think that would have been less weird than like falling in love with the woman that you widowed.
1: Like I think um isn't she Katsumoto's sister-in-law yeah yeah okay so that was katsumoto's brother just switch the roles make the man that died brother-in-law to mm. katsumoto make
0: her the sister so there's you know
1: more of a natural you you might be right you know what i mean that feels um that feels a little better i don't know if it helps it too much but i think you might be right that might <laughs> be my only complaint the widow thing is just too weird it's to too me. long it's too over the top because it, it kind of leans into oh what is that <sighs> What is that phenomenon that happens? It's like, um, are you talking about like
0: Stockholm syndrome? Stockholm
1: syndrome, where like you're, you're, like you're essentially you fall in love with your captor. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it kind of feels like that. A bit. It A little does. bit. Some. It's. Mm-hmm. It lies somewhere on that line. Which, like, I literally think that's the only parts of the film where I actually feel kind of uncomfortable. You know, Yeah. It's weird. It lies somewhere. It's like kind of beautiful, but it's like kind of sad. And I think that might be the point, but it I just feels weird. Like maybe he feels a guilt... And he yeah. wants to like fulfill
0: that role in her life or something.
1: Yeah, he, like maybe. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Like, of course he feels guilty because he even mentions Katsumoto, Like, I've killed her husband. And he's like, it was a good death. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck? You can't just say that. Like, <laughs> uh, I guess it was, but you know it. And even she mentions like, like I want to end my life in shame. And he's like, no. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> if they would have kept her as the sister in law, she should have like just straight up rejected him. I think that would have been a fine take as well. Mm. Like just give him the cold shoulder and be like, I respect you for like being here with my family and helping out, but we're not going that way.
1: It's also like the stepdad approach too, where like your kids have like adhered onto this father figure. And I actually like that because I was fine with that stuff. I love the, I love the conversation he has with the oldest son. He's like, why do you fight, you know, for us and against them? And, because they come to destroy something that I've come to love. I'm like, that's, like, really powerful. Like, and I think that leans back into the sense of honor that Nathan's earning again, you know? Yeah. Even Katsumoto says in the end, like, like you have earned your honor again. Like, that's fucking really powerful to me. I'm going to take a tangent here, but I've read Stormlight Archive, all four books so far, and that whole book is about honor. God, I wish, I wish it was, like, easily distributable to for you to like be able to understand like I wish there was a show where you could absorb this because it is so powerful there's so many people that act in dishonor and the people that are honorable like make their way it's this chiseling of this stone of we're gonna bring this world back into honor like it's so powerful like a man must have his honor to act nobly. And this stoic approach is so beautiful and powerful to me. And I think from my, the way I view the world, it's, it's such a powerful philosophy to adhere to, Mm -hmm. because I think if you strip everything else away, it becomes such the basis of so many religions and it feels right. It feels like there's a truth behind it. Mm -hmm. And I love (laughs) <laughs> samurai and, and mm-hmm. japanese films because it they push that uh, granted this is a american made film with an american actor in it but it yeah. feels like it's it's distributing something that uh, that needs to be seen they treat those aspects with respect I did, I, regardless I think so. of
0: it being like an american film it's like slightly whitewashed but like not a ton to
1: where i think it doesn't deserve the uh like the reaction that it has from a lot of people and i think i think part of that is the fact that you're using an American actor to like vessel these philosophies through, which like kind of feels weird, but I don't think it's, I don't think it like sours any sort of message that's trying to be pushed through. And also the fact that like the history is off, it's inspired by, you know what I mean? Like, I think that might be what also is adding fuel to that argument. This isn't reality. And they never are. Yeah. And, and that's the point. Like Braveheart was not like the, like Braveheart, it's a is a beloved film and it's a great film I, and I love it personally. Never but it's also it. like I know you haven't. You haven't <laughs> seen like you haven't seen like any of the classic uh, period pieces like Gladiator, Braveheart. Nope, have not. They're coming. But uh, <laughs> I might be on like my fucking period piece kick right now. And it's the same thing with the King. It's not reality, but it vessels those ideas. Yeah, and that's fine. We
0: have not really talked about who I think is the MVP of the film, which is Ken. Watanabe, Yeah, he's the, he's the goat, dude. He's, he's great in this. I think he actually outshines Tom Cruise. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Even given like their kind of unequal screen time between the two of them.
1: He speaks in such poetry.
0: He does. Oh my God. Did you notice that this is the guy from Inception?
1: No, oh, yeah, 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 okay. yeah, 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 dude. Finn Watanabe is the goat.
0: For some reason I thought that we would, that would come up earlier. I keep meaning, kept meaning to, uh, Bring it up, but he got uh, a best supporting nomination at the Oscars this year. Didn't win, but uh he deserved that nomination. Dude, I think. Ken Watanabe
1: is a great actor. He is awesome. This is only the second thing I've seen him in. He's in um, Letters to Iwajima, which I have yet to see. I've always wanted to see that. That's another period piece.
0: Clint Eastwood movie, right? I believe so. Okay,
1: it's a weird one. The color palette in that film is super fucking dry. Uh, which I think is a huge turnoff. But um, I, it'd be something I'm really interested in seeing because mm-hmm. I know he's kind of like uh, your main your main character in that.
0: Here's a question for you. Okay. Do you think the film, for one, would have been improved by him becoming the protagonist, like once he's introduced? in two, do you think that would have improved society's look at
1: this movie? No um, to both of those things, actually. Okay. Because I think – okay – what would help the film's reception is actually the title of the film. <laughs> Tom Cruise is the last samurai? The point, okay, the way I view the film is not that Tom Cruise is the last samurai, because I think it like looks like that on the, on the front page, <laughs> yeah. the cover of the book kind of mm-hmm. thing. It's the last samurai is supposed to be plural. Like, these are The Mm -hmm. Last Samurai. Yeah. Um, And I don't think it gets viewed that way because it's like, let's put Tom Cruise... Like, let's let's scale Tom Cruise's face up and put him on the front. Uh, Obviously, it's fucking Tom Cruise. Like, you're gonna do that. Mm -hmm. It's it's fine. He's, Um, He's the
0: one selling the tickets
1: here. Correct. But the whole point is, it's not even, like, the characters. It's, like, the movement of... These were the last, and it's not historically accurate, but it's like, let's show an idea dying. That's the point. It's not the, that's my, that's my combativeness towards that criticism. It's like, okay, I get it. It adds a sense of, oh, white savior. Mm -hmm. I get that. I, I understand that. And I think you could easily, you could write it off that way. But I think when you look at the philosophy and the ideas that are being pushed through the film, it creates so much more of a unique beyond words, uh, idea. And I don't know, it's like there's some sort of philosophy being pushed through. It's like this assimilation of cultures coming together in a in a beautiful way that like it's like a beautiful death you know what i mean see this is like the aspect of the film that like
0: i don't know how i feel about because i've seen a lot of the criticism about this like white savior narrative be directed towards the fact that it's less about the end of the samurai and it's more about nathan's redemption through his experience with them kind of like people think it lessens the actual uh historical narrative i don't know how i feel about this in my opinion i do think that the movie could have made a few stronger points about like either the history of the samurai or the reason for the rebellion or criticism about western imperialism like i think how do i say this i love the way the movie is presented as it is but when i see these like criticisms towards it I kind of think about what the movie isn't at the same time. Mm. Like I'm, I'm like, I wish there was a little bit more of that political narrative, like uh, fleshed out or something. Okay. I think that it's, I think it's tough, right?
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's it is. It's tough. It tough. is. Cause it like, it lies on that edge. It's the in between. It's not perfect. And I think the first and foremost, like, The the screenplay and the just the story itself sets itself up for so much criticism. Mm -hmm. Like it's a very difficult film to sell. It's a hard sell because you could lean into those criticisms so easily and I think one of the things that the film doesn't do as well as it probably should even though that I can pick up on it because I can give the film it's time of day and give it the time to to breathe and, and enjoy it but going back to I don't feel like you really get to fully experience the fact that Katsumoto and the other samurai actually learn from Nathan it's hard because you're pushing Nathan through their culture and you're not Not really thinking about their culture viewing Nathan and his perspective and I think that's what kind of is tough like don't get me wrong I'm giving this this film a lot of rope (laughs) like I'm giving it a lot of room to be like okay yeah but don't forget about this aspect but I think that's important but I just think that you're so enveloped in culture and you're getting a lot of it through Nathan's eyes especially in that second act where I think maybe the third act, where the ideas are blending together, goes really unseen because it's so overshadowed by action and like this bravado and climax. It's, it's, yeah. it's hard to like kind of see that. You know what I mean? But and, and like, and don't forget the <laughs> fact that even the imperial officers on the other side lay their hats down and, and bow to the samurai. Like, I think that's, you can't like discount that either because like that's huge because oh, yeah and there's
0: a respect towards like the resilience correct of objectively is what is like the weaker side yeah dude, that shit <sighs> that shit breaks
1: my heart <laughs> god it's
0: such a balancing act yeah like, it, it's a really fucking
1: hard line to toe
0: and i understand why people are mad about it i'm as torn
1: as welcome. anybody Wel- else welcome to the fucking <laughs> club dude this is what i have been trying to like figure out for so long
0: because i kind of think the movie is a little overly long but at the same time i'm like i need 40 more minutes i know
1: i know yeah it's a hard film to like this is why i love it man because it's such a god it's like a good book god this is a fucking statement this is a fucking you can tear this down all day but like (laughs) being like hey oh remember this classic like uh war and peace or you know fucking uh, crime and punishment like mm-hmm. you can return to it and like re- get something new from it every time like there's yeah. there's like this um it's like so so much chaos that you can pull so much beauty from and at the same time like criticize for its like lack of perfection it's so complicated Mm -hmm. and i also think part of that is the fact that you're blending two philosophies at once because you're you're trying to digest both where like the human nature is to say hey it's either one or the other Mm -hmm. and when they come together it feels like a mess but the beauty Mm -hmm. of the film is understanding the mess like that's my joy of it If it wasn't messy in that way, then
0: we wouldn't be talking about it as long as we have been. I know. If it was, like, done perfectly, we would say, this was done very well, then (laughs) that'd be the end. Good job. (laughs) People that worked on this film, ha, 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 good job. (laughs) We all liked it. But I am a little torn on those Mm -hmm. elements,
1: but I can't say that the movie did it wrong. Literally, I think that's why I returned to the film. Like, Mm -hmm. there are films that we love, like Moneyball, or, like, films that we, like, completely agree upon the fact that are... Absolutely. Without a doubt. Masterpieces. Yeah. But we can just be like, hey, remember that masterpiece we watched? That was good. Yeah. So good. you remember how good that was? And then we can like bring up a film like this, which is like, it's on the precipice of something great. And like the moments that we love are absolutely fantastic. And we have criticisms about and like, that's what creates conversation. A lot of my favorite podcasts that we've done have been, like, the ones that we
0: score within the five to seven range. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I know.
0: Tron, Suspiria,
1: like, that kind of shit. This film is, um, there's a lot of depth. Piss break.
0: What was the last thing we talked about? We were on the White Savior thing, right? The Glorious White Savior, yes. okay. I'm going to close out the conversation with one last allusion to that argument, mm. I suppose. And it's the one thing that I really dislike about the film, actually. And I'm bringing oh. it in here at the end. Damn. Damn. Fucking crush me. Why don't you? I hate that Tom Cruise is the sole survivor after mm. the battle. Really? Okay. Okay. How do you feel about that? Cuz I was not, I'm not a fan of that choice.
1: You know, it's strange because it's like, oh yeah, he's just going to like walk the horse back into that village like, ha ha, ha look I'm back, guys. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of weird to me. I think maybe the now that you bring this up, the film would have been better with him going back home, back to America. But also, it's like, hey, even like, you know, Mr. Graham is narrating the final the final lines where He's mentioning, like, some say the American went back home. Some say, like, he crawled back into the bottle. You know, some say, you know, whatever. He comes, like, this weird enigma of history. But he's like... This omnipresent voice. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But ultimately, he says, I like to think that he found a small measure of peace that we all hope to find and a few of us do basically, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I'm like, damn, like, and then you end on that with like him sharing a smile with you know whatever, like, yeah, it feels a little weird. It feels a little weird, but I think um, the message behind it's really powerful because I think it encapsulates the story uh, in a way that, like, don't forget, like, this guy started out as like a broken alcoholic, and um, he's found something beyond this life.
0: I don't know why I'm torn on it. There's a lot of dialogue throughout where it mentions or he even says himself there's so many times that i should have died and i think like it would have been more poetic if he died in service Mm. of the cause because the movie ending with him kind of having that shared respect with the emperor kind of could lead to the misjudgment of him being the last samurai (laughs) like he shows up like in the uniform, You're probably the sword. Right. Yeah, he's learn their ways. You know what I mean? I understand that. I've seen some interesting takes about this. This is, um, I guess what I would call like backseat screenwriting. Yeah, I saw somebody say, and of course, this would require the film to be restructured greatly. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm just gonna see what you think about it. Someone said, when he gets captured, do you remember that mustached soldier? That's on like the imperial side. Mm-hmm. And he's the one that kind of tells him to stop stop firing. firing. They said it would be interesting if he was captured with Tom Cruise because this guy was an ex samurai, mm-hmm. right? And it would have been interesting for him to be the one to live at the end, like if they mm-hmm. like if we have like our side protagonist in a way to where it would have kept the cultural the it would
1: have kept the spirit of it alive, yeah. It would
0: have kept it a little bit more pure other than like the white guy living and meeting the emperor in the end. You have the ex samurai who betrayed the cause in the beginning, but, like, learned to go back to the old ways.
1: Ah, damn. You might be right. I think that would have been really cool, actually. I think that would have been better. I almost, like, vision, maybe even, like, Taka, like, honoring their graves in some facet. Yeah. Like, would be really nice. Because I think, like, in the end, the way the film ends, you could still have that closing line of, like, a small measure of peace that we all, many of us look for and few of us find and still have that, and then have, like, Taka, maybe, like, planting flowers, like, near their graves or something. Like, that would have been a little bit more... Yeah. It would have felt a little bit more final as well. Like, I think that would have been really nice. And that, that actually would so much elude <laughs> and honor, like, Seven's Hamurai. Like, you would have, You have no idea. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't know. The ending of the film has always been kind of like a eh. Like, there's something beyond this. And maybe it was, like, something that was mishandled at the end. But I think um, the journey that we take is uh, really special. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and I think uh, it's something that has always stuck with me for like the longest time. When I recommended this film, I wanted to talk about that journey. And I knew we would get to this point where it's like, there's something a little off, like the way the film closes, but like everything else feels really good for them. <laughs> like, like, I would say 90% of the film feels like really solid. I agree with that. And I think in like, In ways that, like, other criticisms we've had, Suspiria, Tron Legacy, where, like, those films are, like, definitely a little bit more of a mid-range. There were some some mishandlings with the screenplay and script. And I think this film, it does such an even better job than, like, you know, those frustrations that we had with those films. Like, where Mm -hmm. it feels like a little bit, like, this film is standing on much Mm sturdier ground.
0: Yeah, my entertainment value was much more straightforward Mm -hmm. with this one.
1: I think that's kind of what I wanted to lean into with like my previous rec- recommendation with Tron legacy or like that film feels like I have my frustrations with that film. Because it could be so much more great than what it is. And then mm-hmm. I think this film is like so much farther beyond that film. Yeah. And, and a part of that is is because when I was younger, these films felt so much more poetic and grandiose than what they are now through these lenses that I have now. But I think um, this film feels so complete compared to that. It's hard, man. It's a hard one. I was just interested in what you thought about that take. That's a good take. I mean, that's a good take.
0: No, it would definitely require like the movie to be changed majorly along the way. And that also
1: like ruins the last conversation between uh, Nathan and the emperor. Agreed.
0: Yeah. Well, (sighs) maybe. What the tell me how he died. I'll tell (laughs) you how he he lived. lived. Do you think it could have been switched for another character or do you think it required Tom Cruise
1: to be the one? I think it does. I really do. Just curious. Again, and I also think like Tom Cruise's performance in that scene is really profound like he's Mm -hmm. on the verge of tears he's he's really damn good in this yeah man it's
0: i I can't deny it as much as i hate tom cruise as a person (laughs) he's a pretty damn good actor
1: yeah man that's a good one man i'm interested i know i have it down as rating wise and i think i still think my rating is really fair but i want to know what you think okay i think i
0: enjoy the movie even more after talking about it Mm. on the podcast I think I went in wanting to give it like a seven ish. I'm gonna go with a very strong eight on this one.
1: I'm right there with you. I still think, even as much as I love the film, I cannot deny that there are like some some misgivings and some and some frustrations. Mm-hmm. But I, I think a fair assessment is an eight. Like mm-hmm. I, I think that is where it lies. Again, it's my favorite B plus movie out there. Like it's right there. It's not perfect. But it's a, it's a great film to have a long conversation about, and I think it's one that is really fun to return to. I always have the most pleasant experience returning to the film. Like, every time I watch it, I'm like, God mm-hmm. damn, I, mm-hmm. I hate it, but I love it. Like, there's something, <laughs> there's there's some beauty to it. I love it.
0: I'm glad I watched it. Good. It nailed a lot of the aspects that matter, acting, costume, and set design.
1: Especially with the period piece. Like, that's huge. Yeah
0: soundtrack i don't know if we even like talked about cinematography really which it's beautiful like god like a lot of landscape shots mm-hmm. and like great use of uh there's like some amazing shots with like darkened shadow mm-hmm. to illuminate like light in the
1: distance like that shit is really beautiful i love the temple scenes like yeah like, that was amazing like the landscaping mm-hmm. it's 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 great it got a lot right and yeah i'm, I'm glad i watched it that makes me happy so <laughs> um homie i'm waiting i'm uh waiting to see where you take us next Oh God, <laughs> here we go. Uh, this is the first
0: time in a while that I've had something locked in like 100% weeks before we sat down and recorded. Yeah, you have not. Yeah. What's going on, man? I feel like I've kind of been doing these Hail Marys for a while, like just kind of flavor of the day. Like whenever it comes to be my turn, I'm like, it's feeling like Marge Volta today. And yeah. That's just what we do. Do you mind if I just read you the plot synopsis? Yeah. I don't know if I've ever done this as a white boy spiel. It's been a while. I think you might have done this early on, but go ahead. And it goes as this. Okay. Blonde Betty Elms has only just arrived in Hollywood to become a movie star when she meets an enigmatic brunette with amnesia. Meanwhile, as the two set off to solve the second woman's identity, filmmaker Adam Kesher runs into ominous trouble while casting his latest project. This is a 2001 surrealist neo-noir mystery film. Directed by David Lynch. Yeah, I knew
1: you were going. <laughs> I knew you were fucking going here.
0: It is Mulholland Drive. Yeah, I knew it. This is something that I saw a couple months ago, and it is claimed a part of my brain
1: that I can't <laughs> let go of for some reason. Okay. I don't Same know. Same actress that's in Birdman.
0: Yeah, Nomi Watts. I think she's like really the only major actor or actress that is in the movie. Okay. Robert Forster is in it briefly. Billy Ray Cyrus is in it? <laughs> okay. okay. I don't know if you have reservations about Lynch
1: because of like what you've heard uh, about you've him. Made some wild uh mm-hmm. statements. Have I? You just been like, oh, this fucking guy <laughs> does some weird shit. I'm totally down for surrealism, man. I've I've read some fucking uh, Haruki Murakami. Like I've read mm-hmm. some fucking wild shit. There's a book about a guy, like, a kid that, like, runs away from home and ends up, like, possibly having sex with his mother. Oh, my like, lord! <laughs> like, it's a weird... Uh, you're, yeah. you're prepped then. Yeah, I'm good, I'm good,
0: man. You'll be fine. I'm good. I've read some shit. I just got into Lynch, like, maybe less than six months ago. Yeah. And, like, hopping in for the first time, like, Blue Velvet was my first one. Yeah. It's, like, kind of scary because of the reputation he has. And then, like, as I've gone through his filmography, I'm like, oh, I it's, can do this. It's just a thing. Yeah. It's not as undigestible as you think it is. Like, there it, is plot and, like, a concrete flow of events
1: okay. in the movie. This will be a very, and I have a very good feeling about how I will. Let me just preface this. I'm going on a work trip. This will be a very interesting, isolating hotel room <laughs> movie.
0: <laughs> it's, um, I would describe it as, like, a puzzle movie where, and this is not a spoiler, in the first two acts, it gives you many of the pieces to put them together. And then in the third act, it like jumbles them up all of a sudden <laughs> and okay. introduces new pieces to the puzzle. Okay, There's going to be a lot to tackle with it because there's things going on on a, a physical level, a d- dream level. I'm going
1: to love this. And I'm going to fucking love this.
0: And a thematic level as good. well. Good, good. So, Dude, and, this excites the shit out of me. And we're we're not going to figure it out completely. The fun of his movies, like these weirder ones that he's done, is, like, the
1: theories. Like, the theories of what's going on. You're going to, like, spoil the shit out of me. We have this conversation off the air, but we literally just got done talking about how overly philosophical I am. And I'm going to (laughs) eat this shit up. I already know. I'm so excited.
0: I hope you like it.
1: At least make for a fun conversation.
0: You'll be running to YouTube for... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Mulholland Drive explained
1: videos immediately after. I will tell you what, I'll I'll, uh, I'll make an effort to tackle and make note of my experience as I go through it. My first viewing, going to theories, and then returning, mm-hmm. and then going again. It'll be fun, man. I'm, I, you've intrigued me. It's a fun genre mash. Like I think I,
0: I described it as neo noir mystery. Mm-hmm. It's a drama. There's like absurdist comedy. There's romance there's horror like it's mm. it's kind of all over the map but everything works together in a weird way that doesn't make sense to me and that's the best way i can describe the movie okay hell
1: yeah man all right that's that's exciting i had fun this was a this was a very therapeutic session <laughs> to say the least um and i appreciate it but um until then until next time uh get her if you could do me the honors of uh signing us off adios